don't know if you pay attention to that little song that Kathy plays right before I get up, we're one in the spirit. That's what Paul's talking about as we get back into the book of Ephesians. We've dealt with it. We've had a break from it through all the holidays and the different things going on and being a part of it. But as we come back to Ephesians this morning, we start back in chapter 4. Paul has been praying for this church at Ephesus, and because this eternal word of God is the living word, it's as though God is praying through Paul for you and me as we look at this and think about this together this morning. I don't know if you, probably none of you have ever known what to do and just chose not to do it. You've all done, always done exactly what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, and how you're supposed to do it. But for some of us who aren't quite as good as that, uh, we, we find ourselves sometimes knowing what we should do, but just not ever doing it. That's really what Paul's talking about here as we begin chapter 4, is that he's saying, and really the whole chapter 4 is about realizing, hey folks, we're the children of God. Act like it. Act like it. That's really, I guess I could sit down and be through with the sermon, but since y'all came, we, we need to go ahead and do a little bit more for this as we have the time. But, but that's really what Paul's trying to say to us. The first, Paul does, a, a, typically in his teaching, what he does in his letters is, is that the first part of the letter will be doctrinal. He'll tell us the things that we need to understand about God and what God has done for us and, and all the theological basis that we need in our lives. And then he'll turn to a practical section in which he tells us, okay, now that we know these things, how should that affect us? What should it do to us in our lives? How should we live in response to what God is doing? And beginning in, verse, in chapter 4 and through the end of the chapter, that's what he's going to be doing, is giving us the practical aspects of our faith. What does it mean to be the children of God? How should we act? What should we do? How should we present ourselves to a lost world as we live out our faith in the context of all the darkness that's around us. And so that's what he's talking about as we come to this way. We begin in the first six verses of chapter 4 this morning, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. But that's what he's talking about here as he looks at it is this unity. We've talked about it, in the, we've sung about it this morning, the unity that we have, the bond of love, all the things that we've dealt with. That's the prayer of chapter 4 is that we would be one in Christ. They would be unified together in the things of God. So as I read these, you follow along carefully and be a part of it. Chapter 4, the book of Ephesians, beginning in verse 1 through verse 6. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we look at these verses and as we think about them in context of all that you've been teaching us through Paul, uh, the fact that, that you have saved us by grace and that you've poured out your mercy upon us and that you've prepared us to, as your children, as your building, uh, to be unified together and blessed us in so many ways and all the work that you've done in our lives. Now Paul comes under the inspiration of your spirit to challenge us through, as you would want us to be challenged to be who we are to understand what it means to be Christians, to understand what it means to be children of God, to be the body of Christ, the very building of Christ, 
Father, help us to understand that we are that bride of Christ, that we are a people of God, and we need to understand that, and we need to live like that. And as he begins to challenge us this morning through these words, I pray that we'll hear them. Familiar words, I understand that, and, and I know there's nothing I can say that these folks don't know. But, Father, I just pray that you'll use your spirit to challenge each and every one of us this morning to think about and to be willing to decide. You know, I know a lot of things about what God wants in my life, and I sometimes just don't ever do them. God, may we determine as we move into this new year that to the best of our ability, by the grace of God and the power of God and your working in our lives by the Holy Spirit, that we want to live like who we are. We want to be the kind of people that reflect the glory of God and point people to Jesus Christ. And I pray that in his name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as we look at these words and, and think about them, Paul said, starts off this section by saying, therefore. And, and really what we understand what he's saying when that word is there is that he's relating it back to what he's already said in the first three chapters. He's saying because of what God has already done in our lives, because of all these things that we've examined and looked at and seen for God, that's the basis of the challenge that's about to be given to us. Because of what God has done, therefore, we ought to live this way. And then he goes from there. He, he says after that, he's talking about him being a prisoner of the Lord. And, of course, he's in prison while he's writing this. But he's a prisoner. He's, by saying that, what he's saying is, I'm not in jail because man has power over me. I'm not in jail because I did something wrong or because people don't like me or whatever the case may be, and all those things may be true in some way. What he's saying is I'm in prison because I've sold out to God, because my life belongs to him, and I've chosen to serve him and to walk with him and to live for him in everything that I do, and so I'm in, he has me at this point in time in prison. And I, you know, I, I, Paul may not have felt the same way, but I'm glad God kept him in prison a lot because most of these letters come to us out of prison. All the great things that God revealed to us through Paul oftentimes came in those moments when he was imprisoned and couldn't do anything else but write and teach and be a part of the things that were going on. But he says, and it's a, it's a powerful word as he looks at this, when he says, I, therefore, I am prisoner of Christ. He says, I implore you. You can almost see him on his knees as he's cr crying out to the church at Ephesus and to all the people that would read this letter saying, to them, I beg you, I plead with you. Everything within me is asking you would you please live according to the things that you know in Christ Jesus would you be the people of God would you make a difference in the world the world desperately needs you to be who you are and that hasn't changed we still need that in our world today maybe more so even than in Paul's time we desperately need God's people to be God's people to live in a way that pleases God and that reaches into a dark world and brings the light that's there. And so, so he, he prays and he's saying that. And, and what he's challenges, what he's imploring us, what he's pleading to us is that we walk in a manner worthy of our calling, worthy of what God's done in our life. The word walk is a word that means a, a lifestyle. It's not just talking about us taking a journey and that we walk down the street. But the word walk refers to our whole lifestyle, how we live day in and day out. And so what he's saying to us is that we would live our lives in such a way that it'd be worthy of what God has done in our lives. That it'd be worthy of who we are as the people of God and what, what it means to be a part of that. So he talks about that being worthy of the calling in which we've been called. And then he gives us some things that would help us. How do I live that way? And he lists some things for us. Said if we're going to walk worthily of God, if we're going to be the people of God that he wants us to be, then one of the things that we have to do is, is we need to walk with humility and gentleness. 
That needs to be part of our characteristic, humility and gentleness as we look at it. Humility, obviously, is the complete opposite of pride. It's not about ourselves. It's a recognition that everything that we are and everything that we have is a gift from God. And that we walk in that understanding. It's not browbeating ourselves. It's not putting ourselves down as somebody just be walked over and, and not having any feelings about it at all. It's the realization. I'm a child of God. I, I, I'm a child of the king. I have worth. I have value. But I don't need to draw that attention to me. It's not about me. It's about my Savior. It's about my Lord. And, and I want to point people to him. And I want people to see him and know him and being a part of it. And the word gentleness is also meekness. And it's that simply that word that means under control. It doesn't mean that we've been broken of spirit, that we have no life of our own, but rather it means that all that we are, that God created us to be, the very best we can possibly be, we have made a conscious decision to put that in the hands of God and let him be the ones in control of our lives. We are yielded to the leadership of the Spirit of God, that we're letting God be the one that controls our life. That's what it means. It means we're teachable, that we never reach that point. So, well, I got it all. I know it all. I don't need anything else. I've already done that. No, it means I'm always ready to learn. I'm always ready to be taught and led by the Spirit of the living God. I'm always ready to listen to those that God is using to teach me and to get me to grow and being a part of that. That's what he's saying. We need to have that kind of attitude in the church, in the body. And, and we, we do this with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, patience is a word that means more so enduring the hardships of our life. And every one of you have been there. You know what it is to be confronted with things that are overwhelming, with things that just seem like, I, I don't know if I can get through this or not. And times that have come up, things not always fair, things that aren't right, but yet you've dealt with them in faith in Christ and you've walked on firmly and you've held on to what you believe to be true and you've gone through that. It's really the essence of patience. And the long-suffering that it talks about, well, it just means putting up with you. Putting up with people that don't always seem like they're worth putting up with you know it means but he said he qualifies it not just putting up with them but in love doing it in a manner that reflects God's love in our hearts doing it in a manner that shows that God has so changed us that we we can't react in the way that maybe we once would have reacted but now because of what God has done in us that we not only are able to put up with each other when we're not worth it but we're able to do so in such a manner that we still love each other and act in love and being a part of it. And so he's talking about this as part of the unity of the church and all that's going on, showing tolerance, he said, with one another in love and being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The word diligent there, it's an aggressive word. And so what he's saying is that as believers in Jesus Christ, as we work together to be the body of Christ, and as we seek to live worthily of our calling, one of the things that we do is that we aggressively, we purposely, we decidedly work at this, and, and we do everything that we can to be at one with one another. That we work together, that we make it a, a, a desire of our life to be one in the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit of God. It's not something that we just take for granted. It's not something that we assume will always happen. Because look around you. None of us are the same. Every one of us are different. And every one of us come from different lifestyles, different backgrounds. 
we are, we, our lives have been shaped by different things, the way we think, the way we act. All those things are into account, but it's all been brought into a oneness under the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And he's saying that, that we together make it a purpose. It, it's our goal that we are one together in the bond of peace, in the bond of love, that we Make that an effort. We don't just sit by and hope that it happens. We don't sit back and, and see something that needs fixed and don't do anything to fix it. But we aggressively, purposely try to be right with one another. You know, the, Paul says in the book of Romans, as far as it is possible, be at peace with one another. Now, what that means is that I have to do everything I possibly can do to be at peace with you. Now, I can't be accountable for you if you choose to not accept that. If you don't respond to that, I, I, I'm not accountable for that. But I am accountable to make sure that I have done everything possible within my ability to be at peace with one another, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, to love them and be a part of it, and to be understanding that we're part of the bond of Christ as he loves us and as he talks about that, as he deals with that, so we're being a part of that. And then he gives us the explanation or the the foundation of how we can be those kind of people who have humility and gentleness and patience and, and long-suffering and that have that aggressive attitude toward unity, that we want that peace, that we want to have that bond of love with one another and everything. He says that, that unity comes from the fact that we are united as one another in Christ Jesus, in the Lord. These next verses that list these ones that we'll see here in a moment, every one of them reflects some part of the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all related to that in the work of what's going on. God is the plan behind this and the things that are going on. You see, we have one thing in common always as God's people. These ones are those things that we have in common as being a part of it, as he tells us that because we are in Christ, and that's been established through the first part. We've been saved by grace. We've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, we've been made new. We are the children of God, we are the building blocks of God, and on and on that we know because those things are true and because of what God has done in our lives. He says, first of all, there is one body. That's us, folks. There's one body. That body is every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not lots of different bodies. That's one body, and the Scripture says with one head, and that head is Jesus Christ. Not us, not the preacher, not the elders, not the deacons, not the Sunday school teachers. It's Christ, and Christ alone is the head. And he's the head of the body, but we're the body, one body. That means every true believer in this building this morning is a part of the body of the Christ. Every true believer in every gathering in Quana this morning in the church that is Christian, that genuinely has a relationship with Jesus Christ, not a relationship with the church or with religion or anything else, but a relationship with Jesus Christ is part of that body. Every person in the United States that has a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ is part of that body. Every person in every country around this world that has a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ is part of that body. There's one body, the body of Christ. All of us became a part of that body by the same means, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. And by doing that, we are one body, one spirit. There's one spirit, the spirit of the living God. As we look and understand, there's not many spirits. He's not some kind of ghost that runs around in all kinds of different sheets and different ways of going. There's one spirit. He's God. He's God and all that he is and being a part of that as we look and as we understand what's going on and being a part of it. And so we were called, he said, in one hope of your calling. 
And, and that calling, the realization is that, that we are wooed by the Spirit of God to come to know Him as the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible tells us that no one can come to the Father except He calls us. No one can just decide, oh, I think today I'll be a Christian. No, it's when God calls us, when His Spirit touches our hearts, and we respond, and we have that opportunity. That's why it's so dangerous for people to say, I know I need to be a Christian, and I want to be a Christian, I plan to be a Christian, but I'll do it when I'm ready. No, you won't. You only do it when the Spirit of God draws you and allows you to come to know Him and be a part of that. And if you put it off, you could miss it completely as you look at it. There's, there's this one calling, this one thing, but it's also a reference to the calling of this one hope that we have and the hope that we share together that cannot be taken away from us, that cannot be destroyed, that cannot wither, that cannot be burned up, that cannot be lost in any way, is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that we have a home that is forever. See, folks, you and I can know for sure that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what it is, we have a home. We have a home. A place that God has prepared for his children, for his people. And that's ours. That's the hope of our calling. And every Christian in all the world has that same hope, that same hope in their calling of being a part of what's going on and seeing a part of that. And we have one Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible tells us that he is Lord. And, and you'll remember in Philippians, Paul there tells us that there's going to be a day and time when every single person, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done in their life, no matter how much power, how much majesty they may have, no matter how great they may be in the minds of humans or how little they may be, whatever it may be, there's going to be a time in, time, in, in, in place in which every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Not anybody else. Jesus Christ is Lord. God gave him a name that exalted him above every name. And there's only one name by which we can be saved, according to the book of Acts, the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord, and only him. There's only one Lord. There's not many of them. There's one. And that's what he's telling us. As we know Christ, we have that confidence. We're to have that what binds us together, what allows us to be one in the family of God is the understanding that we have one Lord. We're not serving many masters. We're serving one and only one as we look and as we understand that. Not only one Lord, he tells us, as we look at it, but we have one faith. And that faith is the faith that is passed down from Jesus through the word of God and the things that are going on. It's one faith that says God is God. There's only one God. It tells us that faith teaches us that there's only one plan of salvation, and it's God's. It's not man's. It's not religion's. It's not something man comes up with in some way. God has a plan of salvation that he put into fact, and we all believe that the way that we get saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works, lest any man should boast, not of anything that we do. We are saved by that one faith in the one Lord, Jesus Christ, and there's only one way of salvation. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come unto the Father except that he comes through me. There's one faith. We all believe in this one God and being a part of it. It's what makes us a bond of Christ. Now, I'm not saying everybody in the world believes that. We're talking about Christians. We're talking about people who have been born into the body of Christ, people who are part of Him. We have one 
faith. We believe in what Christ. Now, we see variances, right? Why we have all these different denominations and all these different churches. We approach things in different ways, but when we get right down to the nitty-gritty, if we talk about how we became a part of the family of God, each of us have to confess the fact, well, the only way I got there was because I found a time in my life when I recognized I was a sinner and I needed a Savior, and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. It's the only way we get there. If we say, well, I, I, I'm a Christian because I, I went to church all my life. Sorry. Say, I'm a Christian because I was baptized 14 times. Frankly, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But no, I'm a Christian. I'm a part of the body of Christ because I surrendered my heart and my life to the saving work of Jesus Christ, what he did in my behalf. And I accepted that and made that a part of my life and acknowledged him as Lord and Savior of my life. And therefore, I am a part of that one faith that comes in being a part of that going on and then he says one baptism well there's a couple of ways to look at that one and and i think the most important part is is that we see and understand that when you and i trusted christ as lord and savior of our life in that very moment in that instant we were baptized into the body of christ by the spirit of god now there's not many baptisms of the spirit either I know some churches like to teach that you got to be baptized again in the spirit you got to have this and that but you don't find that in the bible There's one baptism. The Spirit comes into your life at the moment of your salvation and He never, ever, 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 ever departs. You have all of the Spirit you're ever going to have. Now, we don't always yield to Him. He's not always in control of our life the way He wants to be. But He's always fully in your life. He never departs. And He doesn't just give you part of Himself. Say, you act good this week, I'll give you a little more. No, He's all in. Every part of God is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have that one baptism that is there and being a part of it. And then we have one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. We have one God, folks. There are many religions, and every one of them have their own God. But there's only one God. Jehovah God, Yahweh God. God presented to us in Jesus Christ. God dwelling in us in the power of the Holy Spirit. But he is one. And we understand that and we know that. And so Paul, as he begins this section in chapter 4 and and calling us to walk worthily of our calling, he he gives us some some characteristics of our life that we ought to have that ought to be exemplifying gentleness, humbleness, peace, love, kindness, forbearance, those kinds of things that ought to exemplify the way that we live day in and day out. And then he gives us the foundation of all of that by saying we're one in the Spirit of God. We're one as the people of God. We're one in our whole work together together in trying to glorify God and reach a lost world and disciple one another because we have, as he says here, and as he talks about, uh, as he came to, we have one body, one spirit. We are called in one hope of your calling. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. And we all have that together. That's true for all of us. That's what makes us one. That's what unites us in the bond of Christ. That's what allows us to strengthen one another, encourage one another, disciple one another, and help us to live the way that we ought to live for Christ. Because, see, we can't do it alone. I can't be the kind of Christian God wants me to be on my own. I desperately need you. And God's designed us that way, made it that way, that the church would understand that we are a body and that we need one another. That we're a family. We need one another. 
that we're a building. And if you take out some of the stones, it's not much of a building. We need one another. And so Paul says to us under the leadership of the Spirit of God, I implore you, I plead with you, live like who you are. Do what you know you ought to do for God's glory, for the sake of your body, and for the hope of a lost world. See, there's no hope out there unless the body lives like the body. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we think together about your word and what it has to say to us and, and all the things that are there, I thank you that you have preserved it through all the attempts in history to destroy it, to, to get it to put aside, to cause people not to believe it, to make fun of it, to do all the kinds of things. And yet you have held it together by the work of your spirit and you have presented it to us that we might have the opportunity to hear your word spoken into our hearts that we might know how to live and how to be who you've called us to be. Father, I pray this morning that we'll determine with our hearts that we want to be that kind of person. We can't do it on our own, and we fall sharp so many times, Father, I know that. I have to confess over and over again so many failures in my life. But you never remove me from the body. You never say, that's all I can take. Your loving kindness holds us together. It allows us to grow and grow and grow so that every one of us are closer to you and know you better and are learning how to live our life better now than we were back when we began the journey. And by your grace and your mercy for however long you allow us to walk upon this earth as your representatives, as your people, we'll keep growing and we'll keep learning and we'll keep becoming more and more like what you want us to be. Part of that is on our shoulders, in our heart, that we make a determination that we don't want to waste what God has done in our lives. We don't want to throw away the grace of God, but we want to walk worthily. We want to commit ourselves to being the people of God to the very best of our ability. And when we fall, we'll confess that and you'll pick us up and we'll keep going. Because you have a plan and a purpose for every single one of us and all of us together. Help us to know that, I pray in Christ's name.